Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. To us, this may seem like a very strange statement to hear from the Pharisees. After all, isn't everyone a sinner? Aren't they being just a little too picky? Of course, Jesus receives sinners. Otherwise, he wouldn't receive anyone at all. But as true as that is, we need to clarify some things so that we can understand what is happening in our text. When St. Luke writes for us that tax collectors and sinners were coming to Jesus, he is pointing to specific people. First, the tax collectors. They were a group who were cast off by almost all Jews for two reasons. One, they worked for the Roman government directly. They worked for their oppressors. And two, their position was one that they could often get away with stealing by saying to you that you owed more taxes than you actually did and then paying the Romans the true amount while pocketing the rest. But even if they didn't do this as a tax collector, you would be lumped in with the rest that did. Now for the term sinners. Sinner here is not meaning how we normally think of it as a sinner, but an open sinner, a manifest sinner, one that is publicly known in their sin. We can think of those that the Pharisee lists in Jesus's parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, extortioners, unjust men, adulterers, but it also includes prostitutes and their clients, drunkards, and many more of the most horrible types of sinners you could imagine. This is what Luke is referring to when he says sinners. These are the ones that are drawing near to hear Jesus, and they are the reason for the Pharisees' grumbling and complaints. In response to this, our Lord Jesus tells a parable with two parts. Some call it the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin, but today let us call it the parable of losing and finding because they really do go together as one, and St. Luke calls it a parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? What man, indeed? Which of the Pharisees, or even the outcasts listening to Jesus, would not, if they had a hundred sheep, go off immediately to seek the lost one? None of them would say, I have 99 perfectly good sheep, no need to go after just one. It may be difficult, it may take a while, I'm happy with just 99. No, all of them would, in fact, when they see one is missing, go and leave the 99 in the safe pasture land and go seek for the lost sheep, not counting the time, the labor, or the cost to get it back into the fold. Jesus continues, and when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Indeed, this is the proper response, the only response that one who seeks out the lost sheep can have when he finds it. Such a sheep would, after wandering, after straying so far from the flock, be tired, 
it would be exhausted and scared. And so ye, who wouldn't pick up the sheep despite its weight, despite everything stuck in the wool and under its belly, and put it on his shoulders to carry it back, happy with the opportunity to even do so, happy to have found the sheep and to bring it home. And when he comes home, Jesus says, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. This probably is where the image breaks down in the realm of everyday life. While one would rejoice at finding their lost sheep, they wouldn't necessarily call all of their friends and neighbors together to have a feast. Yet this is what our Lord adds to this parable, because although it does not fit our everyday expectations, it demonstrates the divine truth behind the picture that he is giving. A sheep is lost, it is sought, it is found, and there is much rejoicing. The Pharisees probably understood the meaning well enough. If you do this for a sheep, why shouldn't I do this for a human being? But Jesus continues to drive the point home. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. It cannot be clearer than that, my brothers and sisters. And so we see how this first half of the parable applies to Jesus' words uttered here. The man tending the sheep is none other than the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, the Son of God and Son of Man who came to seek and save the lost. The lost sheep is the sinner. Not just the open and public sinner, as we heard at the beginning of our text, but any sinner who is not under the care of the good shepherd who is not in his watchful eyes in the fold grazing with the flock. And just as the lost sheep in the parable, who could not find his way back to the flock, who could not do anything except become more and more lost, wander farther and farther astray, so too all sinners who are cut off from Christ, who are not united to him by faith, they cannot come to him by their own powers. Yes, by natural reason, and by the design and power that we see in nature, we can figure out enough that there is a creator, and maybe we could even get to the point and to know that he is angered over sin, but we cannot know what sin is, who he is, or know anything about the gospel of salvation. Rather, Christ, the Good Shepherd, seeks them out. He is the one who seeks and saves the lost, who goes after the one who is lost, seeking them when they are not yet seeking him. Yes, he is Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners. First in his incarnation, for the purpose of bearing our sin upon his shoulders, and taking it with him to the cross in order to offer himself up as a sacrifice for sins in our place. Yet that was not his only action, to save sinners. He continues even now to seek out and find those who are lost, seeking them by his Holy Spirit who works through the word and sacrament to call, gather, and enlighten the lost. That is, to seek them and to find them, and to bring them to repentance. And what does this repentance look like? It is nothing other than contrition and faith. That is, contrition, sorrow over sin, Sorrow over thoughts, words, and actions which have offended God and neighbor alike. 
but also faith. Faith that Christ Jesus, who came into the world to save sinners, also came for you, also died for you, also carried your sin to the grave and left it there, also rose again for your justification. Faith that is trust in Christ's promises for the forgiveness of all who trust in him. This, our Lord says, brings joy in heaven. While on earth we tend to celebrate the deeds of mighty men and women and commemorate their valiant efforts and rejoice over them just as we recently rejoiced over the great deeds that resulted in confederation, but in heaven things are different. There is joy over repentance. No matter how great the sinner was in God's eyes or in the world's eyes, even if he, like Paul, be a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent, there is joy in their repenting. Repenting, not just once, but continually. While in English, one sinner who repents can be thought of as either a one-time thing or a continuous thing, the Greek is clear that it is a continuous action. And that helps us understand this statement. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. The one sinner who repents is the one who is not in the Lord's fold. It is the one who either never has been or who has been long out of the practice of true repentance. When they repent, when they are sought and found by the Lord, there is great joy in heaven. A wave of exuberant joy more than anything that we could imagine resounds throughout the heavens. Notice also it's more joy. That means that there is also indeed joy in heaven over those who do not need repentance. There is joy both for the one sinner, but also for the 99 righteous persons. Now, this is not referring to those who think they are self-righteous. There would be no joy in heaven for them. No, they need no repentance, these 99, because they already have it. They are already in the practice of repenting. They are already in the Christian life, which is a life of daily repentance and forgiveness. Yes, these 99 need no repentance because their life is already a life of faith in Christ and of repentance. The angels in heaven are already joyous over them, already rejoicing over their life of faith and repentance. Yes, they are, brothers and sisters, rejoicing over you as righteous persons. Yes, you are righteous by faith in Christ. You are justified, that is, made righteous by faith in Christ. The Christian life is the life of one who is righteous by faith, but it's also a life of repentance. It is one of growth and sanctification, in holiness and growth in repentance, as we see how deep our corruption is. Our one, our daily life of repenting of sins and trusting in Christ, our Savior, who came to save sinners. In the small catechism, we confess that the Holy Spirit daily and richly forgives the sin, my sins and the sins of all believers. And since forgiveness is tied to repentance and faith, that means we confess that the Christian life is a life of repentance and faith. 
And just as the heavens, we too in the church should rejoice with Christ when one sinner repents, knowing that this rejoicing for their sake does not lessen God's love for us. After all, what parent does not rejoice more over their child who was sick but now is healed than over their healthy children who need no healing? And that brings us to the second part of our parable. Or what woman... Having ten silver coins, if she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently to find it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for that I found the coin that I lost. The silver coin in question here is called a drachma, the Greek equivalent of the denarius. It amounts to about a day's wage for a laborer. Ten drachmas would be a significant savings in order to get the family through tough times if work were not available. Losing one of these ten coins is serious. That's one of ten. This lost coin is very valuable indeed. And so when it is lost, the woman does all she can to find it. She lights a lamp, for the houses at that time were very dark with few windows, She sweeps the house, picking up everything, looking under and in every nook and cranny, and seeks diligently until she finds it. And what does she do when she finds it? She rejoices. Yet again, those hearing the parable would know where this is going. But our Lord hammers home its meaning once again. Just so I tell you, there is more joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. But he did not tell this parable just to have everything exactly the same, except for the number. No, there is a difference. Here it is a woman seeking the lost coin. The lost coin is obviously enough the sinner, as we see from our Lord's application. But who is the woman? She is none other than the church, the bride of Christ. She is united to Christ. His life enlivens her. His spirit moves her. His love enables her love. So too she continues to do his task. She does what her head, her bridegroom, does. She seeks the lost. Again, we see with this coin, it is valuable in the sight of the woman. The sinner is valuable in the sight of the church. The coin is quite dead, more so than the sheep, just as the sinner She cannot call out to the coin to get it to come to her, but she must seek it out. There there are no seekers looking for the church. That's backwards. And if we have it in our mind to be a place that is seeker-sensitive, hoping that they will just waltz in the door looking for God, then we're going to be mistaken, and we're going to be heartbroken. Rather, the church is the seeker of sinners. Because she is enlivened by Christ, who seeks to save the lost. The church seeks out sinners with what her Lord has given her, the Word. The Word which is active in both the Word and the sacraments. The lamp which the woman uses to seek for the lost coin shows us how the church uses the Scriptures, the Word of God, which is a a lamp to our feet and a light to our path in the seeking of sinners. The light of the law illumines the sinner to their state, piercing the dark corners of the heart, 
revealing sin and its seriousness and consequence. But so too, the light of the gospel then shines on the troubled heart who is sorrowful for their sin, and so presents the promises of Christ for forgiveness, life, and salvation. So we see repentance and faith. The Lord Jesus works in and through his church and in and through his word within it to seek and save the lost. And brothers and sisters, the church is not some mythical imaginary being, nor is it strictly some institution, but it is you and I and all believers. The church is present in our gathering here together. Right now, the church is actively seeking diligently by means of the word of the lamp, the lamp of the word of God. And so too, later in the service of the sacrament, the Lord Jesus comes to you in his body and blood for the forgiveness of the sins of all who come to eat of him in repentant faith. He unites himself to you, forgives you all your sins, enlivens you, and strengthens you so that you may, as one of his daily repenting believers, enlivened by his spirit and united to him by faith, diligently seek the lost, the sinners not yet repenting, so that by the work of the Holy Spirit they may repent and we may rejoice, seeking them out, finding them, bringing them here to the place where God promises to be, to the place where the Lord is present in word and sacrament to seek and save the lost so they may repent and believe. May God grant that we always seek at the lost, just as he first sought us out and found us. And may he, the Almighty God, keep us steadfast in this faith until our end. Amen. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard and keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord.